that the scripture demands that we do more than just look back at the historical fact of the resurrection and look forward with hope to our future resurrection. In fact, the scriptures apply the doctrine of the resurrection to the whole of the Christian life. We are to give ourselves to understanding the present implications of the resurrection of Christ on the life of the believer. And so at this time, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to notice together verses 15 through 23. This is God's word. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated, him at the, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, so why is Paul praying here in verses 15 through 23? Well, look at verse 15. He says, for this reason. What reason? He says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. He is praying because he has heard that the glorious blessings that are found in union with Christ that he prays God for in verses 3 through 14 of this uh, chapter are being realized by the Ephesian believers. And what a great encouragement that must have been to Paul. He thanked God in verses 3, 4, 3, 3 through 14 for the, for the message of the gospel, of all the blessings that, that come from being in union with Christ. And then in verse 15, he, he thanks God, he prays for the believers in, in Ephesus, but why? Because they are recipients of those blessings. But in classic Paul fashion, his driving passion was that the people of God would be drawn higher up and further in to the glory of knowing God, of being in covenant union with God himself. We see this in his, in, in his petition in verse 17. He prays that their knowledge of Christ would grow. In verse 18, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. And I, I so appreciate that language. Brothers and sisters, our knowledge of Christ is never to be merely a growth in head knowledge, but it is, it is to always result in a growth in our love for Christ. And then once again in classic Paul fashion, he urges believers to consider the glories of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not just for unbelievers, but it is for believers. We need to have the gospel preached to us over and over and over again if we would grow up in grace. But now turn your attention to verses 19 and 20. And this is where I want to focus with you for a few minutes. 
So verse 19 is a continuation of the thought started in verse 18, where Paul is praying that the eyes of the hearts of the Ephesian believers be, would be enlightened. And in verse 19, we see that one of the things that he wants the Ephesian believers to understand is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Okay, so Paul wants believers to understand the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, and then he goes on to explain what that power is. He says this great power toward us is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, do you see the the greatness and the glory of what has just been read to you? What we see here is that the power that is now, presently, today, at work in us as God's people is the same power that was at work in the very resurrection of Christ from the dead. The same power that God worked in Christ is the same power that God works in us. You see that language of union there. You see, it is by virtue of our covenant union with Christ that we become partakers in the very resurrection of Christ. The same union language that we see in Scripture applied to the life of Christ and to the death of Christ is also applied to the resurrection of Christ. And thus we can say that Christ lived for us, he died for us, and that he was resurrected for us, for our benefit, if we would believe upon him. Now, what I want to do is to show you that union with Christ and his resurrection is one of the most foundational realities of your life presently if you are a Christian with the hopes that your hearts will be enlarged in love for your resurrected Savior. So the first doctrine that I want to consider with you is the doctrine of regeneration. This doctrine sometimes is called the doctrine of the new birth. Jesus declares that if you would enter into the kingdom of God, that you must be born again. To be a Christian, you must be born again. You must be regenerated now, what does that have to do with the union of Christ, with union with Christ and his resurrection? Well, everything. Notice with me in the very next section of Ephesians, as Paul works out the implications of the power of God that was at work in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Look at Ephesians 2.1. Here, Paul declares that all men prior to salvation were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were in Adam. They were under the curse. They were dead. But notice down in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, resurrected, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see how those verses are the very outworking of verses 19 and 20 of Ephesians 1? What he prayed for the Ephesians in verses 19 and 20 happens to them in chapter 2 verse 4. Because of our union with Christ, we have been resurrected. We have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. And that is a miracle, brothers and sisters. If you are saved here this morning, the very power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that raised you from death 
to life. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we see that our regeneration is a result of our union with Christ in His resurrection from the dead. And in the regeneration of a sinner, we see the very resurrecting power of God on display. Further, when when a person is saved, when they they are regenerated, when they're born again, that that is a resurrection. They go from being dead to being alive. That's the very definition of resurrection. If you are in Christ, you've already been resurrected once. Therefore, you ought to have every confidence that you will be resurrected a second time. That's the glory of being in Christ. If you are in Christ, you get to experience two resurrections and only one death. But if you're in Adam, you only experience one resurrection and you experience two deaths. So to be in Christ, two resurrections, only one death. To be in Adam, one resurrection and two deaths. Moving forward, a second great present reality in the life of every Christian is the doctrine of justification. In order to be a Christian, you must be justified. That is, you must be legally declared righteous by God. Now, what does this doctrine have to do with, the, have to do with union with Christ and his resurrection? Everything. Notice with me, if you would, in Romans 4, verses 24 and 25. There it states, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised, resurrected, for our justification. And so here we see how important our union with Christ is. Christ was delivered up on account of our trespasses and and raised on account of our justification. Our sin was the reason for his death. And our justification was the reason for his resurrection. In his death, he identifies with us in such a way that our punishment becomes his. So also in his resurrection, he identifies with us in such a way that his vindication, his justification becomes ours. He was cursed in death in union with his people. And he was raised in vindication in union with his people. And just as his resurrection declared his vindication, so also his resurrection declares that all who are in union with him are also vindicated. It says he was raised on account of our justification. And on account of this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Dear ones, if you stand before God this morning as one who has been justified, You stand as one who has been united with Christ in his resurrection. Let's move to a third present reality in the life of every Christian. And that is the doctrine of sanctification. By virtue of our salvation, we have been given new hearts and new natures that are now enabled to put off the old and put on the new by the power of the Spirit. 
If you are a Christian this morning, you are in the synergistic process of being sanctified progressively into the very image of Christ. Now, what does that doctrine have to do with being in union with Christ and his resurrection? Everything. There's many passages that we could turn to to show this, but let's notice in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 11. Romans 6, verses 4 through 11. It reads, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, I think you can clearly see the connection here. It is by virtue of our union with Christ that we have been set free from the dominion of sin, thereby enabling us to walk in newness of life. Jesus' resurrection is the power of our sanctification. The immeasurably great power whereby God raised us in Christ and whereby he is conforming us to the image of Christ accords with the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from Christ. The dead. And so, in conclusion, I trust that you have seen that the resurrection of our Lord is central to the entire message of Scripture, and that the implications of the resurrection extend beyond looking back on it as as an historical fact and looking forward to our future resurrection, although both of those are absolutely necessary for our lives. You see, the resurrection of Christ ultimately gets at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. If I had to summarize the entire message of the Bible, there's different ways that I could approach that, but I think perhaps one of the best ways to summarize the message of the Bible is is to simply state that there's only two kinds of people. Those who are lost and those who are saved. Those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. There is no third category of people that the Bible mentions. You are either represented by Adam or you are represented by Christ. The Bible summarizes it like this. In Adam, you have death. In Christ, you have life. And isn't that the whole purpose of the resurrection? Resurrection is all about going from a state of death to a state of life. It's about, going from the suf- it's about going from suffering the curse for the broken covenant of work, which is death, to receiving the reward that has been earned for you in the covenant of grace. And that reward, of course, is life eternal. Christ is the resurrection and the life. And therefore, to be in union with Christ is to have resurrection life. 
And the possession of resurrection life is a present reality for the believer. That is yours this morning if you believe in Christ. It has been manifested in your regeneration and in your justification and in your ongoing sanctification. And if God has begun that good work in you, He will bring it to completion ultimately in your glorification. Which happens when? On the day of resurrection. And so if you are a believer here this morning, my prayer for you is the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 1. That the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. That you would know the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. If you are in union with Christ, you have been set free. You have been set free from the curse of the law, from the curse of the broken covenant of works, and you have been raised to walk in newness of life. And so on account of this, as you, as you think about your, your own personal union with Christ, would you love Christ with all your heart? Would you serve Him with all your heart? Would you endeavor to make Him known to those who are not in union with Him? As the hymn writer says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. And if you have never trusted in Christ, I leave you with the words of Christ this morning. And this is for those of us who are believers as well. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, we have been encouraged once again from your word as we have seen your great love for sinners. If your word says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Lord, you have made a way for those who have broken the covenant of works to be set free from that curse if they would but come to Christ in faith. Lord, I pray that your people here this morning would be encouraged by your great love, that they would be encouraged by their union with Christ. And Lord, that it would stir up their hearts to love and good works, that they would, that they would walk in newness of life to the glory of Christ who lived and died and was raised for us. Father, I do pray as we go forward in the rest of this day that you would enable us to worship you acceptably, that you would bless all of the means of grace in our upcoming worship hour, that your people would be helped and that Christ would be magnified. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.